I think about us, the three of us, what we could be. I think about it all the time. Please, it's terrible. No, it's not. I know Jim. She's my friend. I care about her. How's your day going? You look pretty. Thanks. I wore it just for you. Her father's a driver named Nick. He helped me to survive. Yes, you can, because I can't lose you. I'm not gonna let anything happen to you. What about you? Your girlfriend is a badass. Welcome to Above the Garage, a Nick and June, The Handmaid's Tale podcast. Hi, friends. Welcome to our deep dive into Season 1, Episode 4, which is called Nolite Tapestardes Carborundurum. I am positive that I said that wrong. But let's chat about it in context of future episodes. So if you're a new watcher to the show, you don't want to listen to this one, go and find our spoiler-free analysis that we released on Monday. Uh, Let's go ahead and do our round of introductions and dive in. Hi, I'm Yulia. Hi, I'm Marigold. Hi, I'm Ginger. I am Scarlett. And I'm Kate. Okay, so spoiler full. So to go back to something we were talking about in the spoiler-free segment, um, which was the end of the episode when you see the women walking down the street. Visually, that reminded me a lot of the season four finale when you see the women walking out of the woods after they've killed Fred. And then that made me think about the sound conversation we had, which was like the background sounds in Gilead, um, how you often hear dogs barking. And in this case, they roll the credits to the sound of birds chirping after the women have walked down the street and said that phrase, bitches. Nolita te pastares Bitches. Got it. We got it together. And so I went back to watch it because it's fun to watch anyway. And... I I thought that there was also birds chirping when they walked out of the woods and there was not right then, but there was when they ended the episode. Mm -hmm. So both episodes actually ended with birds chirping. Like as the credits go in 410, there's birds chirping. Yeah. So it was funny because I was like, I wonder if they're doing that when they walk out of the woods. But in fact, they're beeping their car. (laughs) (laughs) They're unlocking their cars. That is the sound as they walk out of the woods in 410. But there is the parallel between the birds chirping. And doesn't she write it on the wall where Fred is hanging? Yes. Too? Under the yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, on and the, she, when she leaves. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, yeah. I was like trying to think of all the times she's used it. And it's for and her. Lots. I mean, that's I like, know. that's a very like huge shout out to offered one, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We, like we, got him. we got him in the end. I love that. She's like drawing that much strength from everyone she's met. Like at first it was Moira. We got all the flashbacks at this, like in this episode. Uh-huh. Like then we have off Glenn or Emily. You're right. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and we have, of course, off red one. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. She does. And, she draws yeah. strength from so many sources and yeah, obviously and it, Nick throughout everything, but she does she, from all these previous people that she's encountered. That's kind of cool. Yeah, and, and she, she also, does. also late later gives it back. Yeah. This is, this is the most important thing. Like It's funny, um, too, though, with the way, like, what Ginger was saying earlier, I think, was making me think, I want to talk about this in the spoiler full part, because Moira and June so effectively switched positions in season four, you know, mm-hmm. in, in this episode, yeah. it's Moira being the badass and breaking the rules and carving things into the bathroom stalls to help other people. And in season four, Moira just wants everybody to be calm and peaceful and try to find a 
happy, peaceful way to live life. And June's like, no, let's fight. Let's, let's get him back. You know? Well, in season four, Emily's talking to Moira and um, she asks her, it seemed like Moira was mad at, at June for the angels fight because some kids were having problems and, and Moira says, well, I'm just tired of cleaning up her messes because that's how June is impulsive. And I don't think she meant that. I just think Moira carries guilt for leaving her. Yeah, I, I sure. think yeah. like when you see that first episode and you see her face dreading, like, do I leave her or do I go? It, it's hard to watch, especially when you watch the fourth episode and, and you see that they're not connecting. But when she finds her, when, when Moira finds June, that episode was amazing because she's like, don't make me leave you again. She right. says it, don't make me leave you again. And you feel that when she says it, like it's harsh because that's, you know, you think of your best friend. You know, I'm pretty yeah. sure we all have a best friend that would pretty much be in that situation and would do anything for. I wouldn't leave you guys there. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't let you stay. I mean, she did leave her in the end in episode nine when she was Ruby. Like she became Ruby and Jezebel. Yeah. Moira did. Yeah, she right. became Ruby and Jezebel's. And then and she was she was like June in the beginning. Like she was living her life trying to get along uh-huh. do anything against her situation and then june comes there and yeah and reignites the yeah, spark. yeah yeah reignites the spark and she gets out and she leaves her yeah. again kind of that is interesting how they like leapfrog each other you know yeah and then yeah. i don't know i think yeah. that happens in any relationship in any scenario you know they need help you help them i don't know like my husband and i are never like too angry at the same time the other one compensates i don't know how to explain it but you do it's all a balance i like seeing what yulia mentioned about the little bits of strength that they grab from one another because people always think that you're going to do this rebellious thing against this whole system that will kill you if you breathe wrong and they don't understand that people kind of follow orders because they're so afraid and then when someone takes a step in the other direction others tend to follow and June gets criticized because she's so impulsive. But if she doesn't do those things, nobody else would do anything, at least yeah. in her story. Yeah. So it, exactly. it, you can criticize her choices. They're not perfect because she's, she's not supposed to have a plan. She's not a military expert. She's not a spy. She's just a woman trying to survive. So I, you see it on the show throughout all the seasons, how she grabs strength and she gives strength to the other handmaids as well. And then people start taking risks and little by little, we get to the, we are Mayday. We are the ones that we've been waiting for, which she says in season three or season four. Season four. Season well, four. I believe. Isn't yeah. it when she's in the yeah. Jezebel? Yeah. Jezebels. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. That's a good point though, because really, I mean, she's out of all the handmaids, like she's the one taking the biggest risk. Think of like the angels flight in season three, like, who else is doing things like this? Like, of course, she's making some bad decisions, but off Glen, right? Is she the one that bombs oh, off, the uh... yeah, Glenn, yeah, yeah, but yeah. the second off Glen. But no, <laughs> but nobody else. Absolutely, I just yeah. thought she should That's get credit true. for uh, her suicide mission. No, you're right. You're right. <laughs> no, no, I mean, but literally I... nobody else. <laughs> her name was Lily, wasn't it? Yeah, Lily. Was, yeah. That's her I mean, real name. I yeah. think I should have known that. yeah but like but like as far as these big things like june is the one i mean maybe i shouldn't say no one else is doing anything but june is the one leading the pack and making these crazy decisions and of course she makes mistakes but i mean who has a rule book on how you're supposed to get out of gilead and like 
yeah. protect your, save your friends and rescue, you know, like it, right. she's, she's going to make mistakes, but I mean, at least she's doing something, you know, and mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not knocking the other women for not because it was terrifying. You could legit die. Wow. But at the end of the day, people. like even the people who get killed by her impulsive plans, it's almost always their own decision to participate. And you know that that's the risk you're taking. June is not intending for anyone else to get killed. She's saying, I'm going to do this. If you want to join me, do this. And they do. Right. And she's still alive because she has some plot armor and it's an amazing show. What would it be without her? But yeah, I, mm-hmm. I'm pro June too. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> I like her risk taking. Yeah. One thing but- that I love is just watching it, you know, doing the rewatch is seeing like, how obvious um june's manipulation of fred is and yeah. then <laughs> and then just like fast forwarding to episode or season four episode 10 and then and like still fred is learned. just so like oblivious he's yes he's been manipulating you this whole time man i know like it he really stunning. believes that they have a connection like i don't know it kind of slips also in episode nine when when uh she wants to go to the bar and he kind yeah. of like sniffs there's something wrong Wait, that's but it's the wrong reason because he thinks she wants to meet moira and yeah but but he kind of he gets that she's trying to man- manipulate him that's two nine right to- no one, uh, one nine when they oh, go to jezebel's to get All the right. letters yes okay yeah so uh, probably this is the only only time he actually i agree the only true. time yeah, yeah, he, you're right. that he like calls her bluff yeah i'm hmm. trying to think He's- if there's any other time I don't think there is that he but it's funny because in the season four finale when June and Fred are meeting and like you know he she's manipulating him again and he's he's kind of like waxing poetic about their relationship Mm -hmm. that they had but he's basically describing but it kept but he's kind of (laughs) Yeah, but he's kind of like explaining her relationship with Nick at that yeah. point. Like, <laughs> yeah, totally. totally. I'm like, you just don't get it, dude. And then, of course, he's shocked by what happens he's later when she's making out with Nick. It. it was like, you really yeah. don't get it, Fred? Are you that dumb? He is that dumb. And it's totally insane because everyone else knows they've had this. Serena even tells like Tuello or whomever. Yeah. Like, they had this relationship and <laughs> Fred's completely clueless yeah. kind of amazing i mean everyone knew <laughs> yeah, yeah. An idiot. they had to except fred which made it so awesome in 410 i mean honestly his <laughs> like what the fuck is this yeah this is sick yes. like, this is so good <laughs> but i think it's, I, like- I think it's like also proving a point probably that you got like all these white men who are like so delusional and power hungry and they mm-hmm. just they think they know everything and they think mm-hmm. that they can manipulate everybody and they they're just idiots they're not trying hard enough yeah yeah even serena manipulates him oh yeah mm-hmm. he sucks and i like how they <laughs> Sorry. We I love you, Joe Fines. Yeah. No, yeah. I was gonna say obviously we hate him because he did such a good job. To say yeah. I hate how much it affected him. Like from if you see him in interviews, the makeup, season four, the, the makeup that the way that they made him seem like in season one he looks you know put together, and then by the end of season four he looks like haggard, haggard mm-hmm. and like unkept, and yeah. and I was just like he was not having 
he was not living the good life in, in that amazing Canada prison. It was a nice prison. If I ever go yeah. to prison, I'm Seriously. going to Canada. <laughs> no, he, they, the, like just the makeup and the lighting, uh, music, they use all those things to really just nail things home very effectively, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have another thing I thought was quite interesting. Um, and I think someone else was thinking the same, but I, I don't know if it was Marigold or Ginger, but um, when Rita found June lying on the floor being, quote, unconscious, I think she was, like, Rita was super scared because because of the way, like, she discovered the first Alfred and she thought, oh, my God, she's dead. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we know that was extremely traumatizing for both her and her. I mean, she was screaming her lungs out. Yes. And and it was awful. Yeah, and then you see her like kind of break down from her bitchy Rita, who I love, by the way, Amanda. But you see her like start to kind of break down from that attitude, that face when she sees June on the floor. And then she also goes out of her way to like not beg Serena, but basically beg Serena to get her a doctor's appointment. So, I mean, that's 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 a lot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Rita must have been pissed to go shopping for June for two weeks. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. She does get really <laughs> annoyed at shopping, so. True. <laughs> yeah, and she, I guess she was bringing her food all along, so I guess June at least got to see her, but like, again, just 13 days yeah. of being confined in your room. and, and With I, nothing to do, like nothing. Literally nothing. That's solitary confinement. That's yeah, a torture. And that's is. what Serena was doing. That's why she asked, how did you survive her? So a lot of people debate like who's guiltier of, of, you know, fucking people up Fred because he was doing the raping or was it Serena? And I mean, Serena has this way of just breaking people down and you see June throughout all the seasons trying to, and I think Elizabeth Moss said it in an interview, like June has this where she doesn't lose hope for people until the very end. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. throughout, I think season one and season two, at least for me, when I was watching it, I did think that Serena was going to have a redemption arc like she was going to yeah. realize that she's a woman and she should join women but then yeah. she jumped off the cliff and completely fucked herself over yeah when did when does this happen i don't remember if it's season two i have the seasons confused i'm sorry but all the way till season four season two is when she gets her finger cut off like at the end of that and lets nicole go this is the end of season two starts season three i think she she's like when she goes to Canada to visit Nicole and then, yeah, she's back to back well, to be me. her old self and wants to get her back to Gilead. And season two is when you start to kind of, like when I first watched it, I almost started feeling bad for Serena, like almost in season two because almost, yeah. she's starting to understand like the whole theme of motherhood and she's starting mm-hmm. to understand like, you know, June was trying to teach her like with Eden, this is what's going to happen to our daughter someday, you know, and she's not going to be able to read and all this stuff. And then season three starts out where you still kind of feel bad for her because she's a wreck over doing the right thing and giving Holly up. But then the when the whole DC stuff starts and they try to go to Can- Toronto to get her back, that's when you, you, I just started hating Serena again because yeah, like, she just no can't, return. can't do it. Also, well, when, can- when she forces Lawrence to rape june for the ceremony i'm trying to miss yep yeah well for me i think i think that was it serena like i always thought that was fred but for me when she plans out the whole fred and she pushes fred to rape june violently for me that was it that was it like there was i felt bad when she lost her finger 
And I did feel bad when Fred beats her. Like, that was harsh. But there was a turning point for me. So many women defend Serena because she's a woman. And I get it. Yeah, we are supposed to stand for each other. But if you're a woman that's going to take away my rights, there's no way that I can stand next to you because you're not respecting me. And for me, that's what Serena represents. Mm -hmm. So she went through that deep end a long time ago. And it's not about how I'm defending June. I mean, June has done the things that she's done because Serena planted the seed. She wasn't the only one, the only one to do Gilead, but she planted the seed to have it. So those are your consequences. While we're doing the moment that made Serena hopeless for us, it was Eden for me because she's literally risking the health of her baby because she's so angry that she saw that Nick cares about June. That is so messed up because if she's really motivated purely by her baby, then keeping June alive as opposed to he's like, she's in serious danger. And she's like, oh, you care about her. Well, let's marry you to a child and drive her over the edge. And she nearly does. Anyway, so we should maybe do an episode about the moment that made us hate Serena. Hate all characters. Yeah, it's true. I mean, when we were talking about Serena and also about Alfred one, like this, this whole situation, why did she kill herself? When I started to rewatch and I came up to the episodes, I was kind of taken aback by the fact that she committed suicide because she, she was the one who, who was rebellious. Like Alfred one was the one who scratched those Latin words into the wall. So right. she clearly must have been like a little bit of a rebel too, uh-huh. taking that risk. So I didn't actually see her as someone who would commit suicide. I, I wonder if there was an event that pushed her. Over. Yeah. And then, and then we got this Serena speech in episode eight, when she's accusing Fred, I mean, what would you expect? What would happen and, and make it seem, okay, it was Fred's fault. But then June says, um, how did you survive her? And yeah. we see that Serena is also like, I mean, of course it's the combination of all of those people coming together, like, especially the waterfords and, like thinking about the fact that they can't break like a little rebel like Alfred one was mm-hmm. so did, easily. I did break her. I think the yeah. big difference though is Nick because June has Nick. She has somebody who's been looking out for her from the beginning. She has someone who we find out in the next episode. She can go to him and at least like even if he's not physically rescuing her, he's emote, he's saving her mental health. He's he's seeing her so like I think that's the difference because Fred did have a relationship with Alfred one but Alfred one had nobody to turn to which I'm assuming right so and I'm you know I'm assuming I think we already know that Nick purposely made a point to help June because he didn't want the same thing to happen to her and then they ended up falling in love of course so I think that's the big factor between Alfred one and June I like totally. um, I think you're right because there are many instances where June was broken. We mm-hmm. saw it throughout the seasons, you know, and I think the common denominator there was was Nick, except in season three when she completely loses her shit and he was gone. Yeah, he was that's the first gone. time we see her really doing that. And again, he's not there. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So that's, he's, that's, you know, even though he's, I mean, he has saved her life physically, like in season two when she's bleeding in the rain, but. I think more so emotionally and mentally, like he's saved her so many times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it makes it even more beautiful. That he's like yeah. sa- saving saving her. Like he, he swore to himself, 
to say like to do anything in his power next one yeah Yeah, to do more for the next one and he does i have seen someone argue that he had maybe a relationship with the previous alfred which i don't believe to be true at all just because he had tears Mm -hmm. in his eyes when they're like taking her body away and i'm like no i mean that's how people react. So he's a human. They lived with, yeah. died, yeah. yeah, yeah, and killed themselves. You know, whereas Serena and Fred are looking at it like they're taking out the trash. I mean, I guess he's taking out her stuff. I don't remember. Anyway, they don't give a shit. He cares, and we know later that he joins the eyes just so he has some power to watch over Waterford after this. And actually, he's able to take down the person that created the handmade system, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. yeah commander Guthrie. 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 Yeah. right so i think that obviously the previous offered stuff was a huge turning point for nick and then it was a bonus that he was instantly in love with june mm-hmm. all right now we get to move into our new segment that i'm very excited about called after the fact so let me welcome my friend wanda i'm excited to learn what you have to teach me about everything we got wrong in the past few weeks <laughs> well hey kate you guys really gave me a run for my money this week <laughs> <laughs> episode three especially but we're going to start with the end of episode two in just the spoiler free part of episode three and then we'll continue next week okay um, great Okay, so I think it was in episode two, a member of the panel mentioned that Fred had been decapitated. And after rewatching the episode and reading articles and of the interviews and the script, we cannot confirm or deny that he has been decapitated. The script actually says that he is hanging on the side of the barn. What's left of Fred? And there is, however, a description of how people are hung on the wall that Alfred gives in the first novel. And I'll read that, what it says. It's right after her and Emily have left the church Mm -hmm. and they are passing the wall. And she says, besides the main gateway, there are six more bodies hanging by the neck, their hands tied in front of them, their heads in white bags tipped sideways onto the shoulders so that might explain why he looks like he doesn't have a head yeah and I feel like she would have tried to make it like the wall so you're probably yeah that's interesting but I, I would like to challenge the um the audience if I may if there's any listeners out there who like fact finding and would like to find out whether or not Fred was decapitated and give us a definitive answer we would send you out a token of our appreciation if we got the answer that's an awesome idea i like that so you can dm us at above the garage on instagram facebook or twitter and our social media team will get back to us with that and we'll send you out a little something that says thank you okay so next we have the number of times june's father was mentioned on the show Oh, I'm very interested in this. I do not remember. Okay. So we have two confirmed mentions of him. Once by June, while her and Emily were watching the the church be demolished. That was in season one, episode two. And then season three, episode four, in a flashback of Hannah's christening, Holly says, do you think your father would care? He spent a hell of a lot more time at Fenway Park than he did in Mass. So also, I would like to give you some background on on Holly, uh, because I think somebody asked the question, will we see um, June's father on the show? So Holly Maddox was a single mother by choice. 
she was a radical feminist who didn't want any relationship with a man, but she wanted a child. So she got involved against her feminist friend's wishes with a man for the sake of conceiving a child. And after she got pregnant, she told him to bug her off that she, she had enough money and could pay for daycare. So June's father didn't really play a part in raising her. He did send her cards for Christmas and that's about it. So I'm not sure we're going to see her father because her father wasn't really involved with her. That sounds like Holly. Yeah. That was a quote from the book then? Yeah. Awesome. And also I wanted to get into it when we get into season two. So that's why I don't want to go too deep into, I don't want to dive too deep into it because I mean, her life is very interesting and it's a lot in the book. So. Awesome. Um, okay, so the next thing we have is, does Putnam outrank Waterford? And the answer is no. Mm, <laughs> really? Yep. How do you explain the houses? Yeah, and that's funny. I actually um, read an article with Elizabeth Williams. She's the production designer. Uh-huh. And she said the interiors of the house have been changed to reflect the personalities of the characters. So that explains, uh, that explains Waterford's, uh, Waterford's house. Yeah, it's very gloomy and oppressive, uh. and that's that's on purpose. So, and and then um, Naomi's and Warren's house is really airy and and light. Huh. I don't so, know if it's a solid comparison there, but it yeah, must be the case if she said it. So that yeah, explain. All right. So, uh, any more about the ranking system? Yeah, Waterford outranks. I have a few instances or uh, facts that we can see the proof that he outranks. Um, In episode eight of season one, we see the three major architects of Gilead in the backseat of the car. Remember Nick is driving? Yeah. You have Price, Guthrie, and Waterford. Mm. And and they're still creating laws, right? They're creating Mm -hmm. the handmaid's program. And then you have in episode 10 of season one, you have Putnam come before the council because he's been accused of infidelity with Janine. <laughs> that was so, a good word choice there. <laughs> so he, he goes before the council and you look at the seating in the council. It's sort of like a replica of the Last Supper. Mm. And you have like in the Last Supper, you have Jesus in the center. Mm-hmm. And then you have to his right, his best friend, his confidant, John the Beloved, right? Mm-hmm. Look at the council. You have Price in the middle, and to to the right is Waterford. Waterford is the next in line. Also, Serena, in episode seven of season two, wielding Fred's power, strips Cushing of his his command. Only a high-ranking commander could do that. Putnam delivered the news, but he said, in the name of Fred Waterford, you have been stripped of your command. So that's just proof that uh, he Yep. (laughs) Yep. So the next thing we have is there was a question about Putnam's punishment. Oh, we're not done with Putnam. (laughs) (laughs) You guys asked a question as to why his hand was cut off as opposed to his penis. Yes. (laughs) Uh, the, just the things we talk about, right? Wishful oh. thinking. <laughs> <laughs> well, not only was his punishment biblical, but the insistence of his wife that he be uh, harshly punished mm-hmm. is also biblical. Mm-hmm. 
So uh, it refers to the biblical law of an eye for an eye, and it can be found in Exodus 21, 22 through 25. I'm not going to read that. Wow. The justification for Putnam's punishment can be found in Matthew 5, 28 through 30. Uh, and it's the portion that, that reads, if thy right hand offends thee, cut it off. So that's why his hand was cut off. You know, they go strictly by the Bible. Yes, they cherry the, pick that book very nicely. Yeah, their interpretation of the Bible anyway. Yes. Okay, so next thing we have is June's interrogator was an eye, not a um, guardian. Mm. The full name of the eyes is the eyes of God. And their job is to keep everyone, including the commanders, in line with the laws of Gilead. They have the power to arrest, torture, interrogate, or kill anyone suspected of not being an ideal member of Gilead society. The guardians, on the other hand, are called the guardians of the faith, mm -hmm. and they are unskilled, young, old, and disabled men who are tasked with jobs like security, policing, and menial tasks around the house, you know, like shoveling the garden. <laughs> <laughs> what was he doing there even? Uh, but so Nick is a guardian now, yes? Yeah, Nick, was, Nick was a guardian. And I think that's why people get confused is because Nick is a guardian and he is an I and he is part of the resistance. But so just look at the ordinary guardian, not, yeah. not Nick. Uh -huh. So the next thing we have is the issue with the suspected miscarriage. Mm -hmm. And I, I guess you thought maybe she had a miscarriage because she was hit with a, with a cattle prod, right? Yeah, it seems like that could happen. Yeah. So let's just uh, look at the difference between a taser and a cattle prod. Mm -hmm. I think that's what we're getting mixed up. A taser is not just meant to hurt a person. It delivers an electrical charge that immobilizes or incapacitates a person. The voltage of electricity travels throughout the body. Now, there is proof that that can cause a miscarriage. Actually, there's a woman in Chicago who was just awarded, well, actually in 2017, she was awarded $500,000 because she was tased by the police and later miscarried. Mm -hmm. But there's a difference with the cattle prod. A cattle prod is used primarily to move cattle along. Mm -hmm. It causes pain at the point of contact. Now, if you remember, June was actually pregnant and season two, episode one, and she got cattle prodded. Remember that when, when um, they were being punished after refusing to stone? Oh, and the they're meat. taking them to Fenway? Yeah. Oh, well, actually, does. yeah. And she, when they took her to the Red Center, they were kneeling in the rain uh -huh. and Aunt Lydia cattle prodded her. Oh. And she was five weeks pregnant then. So it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't do any damage to the unborn fetus. Yeah, I'm thinking she just wasn't pregnant, huh? No, nah, she wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> she was not pregnant. Because I can accept that. Yeah. And then the next thing we have is the hospital situation, where one of the panel members suggested that the hospitals are only used for taking care of pregnant women, I guess. And, uh, and torture. And, yeah. And, <laughs> well, actually, we found evidence that that's not true. Okay. <laughs> so 
In season one, episode nine, Janine was taken to the hospital after she jumped off the bridge. Then in season two, episode seven, we see Commander Waterford. Where is he at? Oh, right. In yeah. the hospital. And remember that beautiful kiss that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How could you really doesn't forget? make sense that we forgot I know. about the hospital? <laughs> How could you forget about that? Oh, my God. And then you have in episode eight of season two, baby Angela was sick, remember? Oh, yeah. And Janine takes off the clothes and saves yeah. her. Yes, yeah. you're right. There's so many that we forgot. <laughs> and then Emily, after Emily beat up Aunt Lydia, she had to go to the hospital, of course. Oh, Aunt Lydia did? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so yeah, that was a big mess. Sorry about that. That's Listeners, okay. I swear, Thank you. I, you guys gave me a run for my money last, last <laughs> week. And last thing we have is a member of the panel mentioned that women got the right to vote 1919. But what actually happened was in 1918, Woodrow Wilson, president who had been the object of frequent protests, got behind the women who were fighting for voting rights. So in 1919, Congress approved the 19th Amendment, but because it takes about three quarters of states to ratify the amendment in order for it to be enshrined in the, in the Constitution, mm -hmm. it wasn't until August 18th of 1920 that we got the right to vote. All right. Well, thank so, you for that clarification. You're so welcome. Yep. So next time we're going to finish off episode three mm -hmm. and because there are a few more things in episode three and not many in the spoiler free part of episode four. So, hey, we did good. Yep. You guys were great. <laughs> <laughs> so you are so great. Your research has been amazing. That's, well, I like this. I learned a lot here. It's been fun. Cool. All right, um, then. Well, I will see you next week. All righty. Same time, have... same place. All right. And our full Instagram handle, by the way, is THT underscore above the garage. And you can also find us on Facebook at Above the Garage, a Nick and June, the Handmaid's Tale podcast. So come find us. So I think that is a wrap on our deep dive into season one, episode four. We hope to see you next week when we do our analysis of season one, episode five. Uh, as usual, it'll be the spoiler free on Monday and the deep dive with spoilers and discussions about future episodes on Wednesday. So thanks again for listening and we'll see you next week with Above the Garage. You know, I think about us, the three of us, what we could be. I think about it all the time. Please, it's terrible. No, it's not. I know June, she's my friend. I care about her. How's your day going? You look pretty. Thanks. I wore it just for you. Her father's a driver named Nick. He helped me to survive. Yes, you can, because I can't lose you. I'm not gonna let anything happen to you. What about you? Your girlfriend is a badass. 